0: Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 16 of the Untangling Election 2021 podcast, your semi-weekly podcast covering the now former Canadian election of 2021. (laughs) So last night was election night, and we've had about a day to digest results, which were all in all very similar to 2019. Given this, we want to reflect a bit on election 2021 and the results. What happened? What did we think of it? Who really won and who really lost? So, joining me today, because it's our like season finale in some senses. Not that I'm gonna stop doing episodes after this, but I'm joined by three of my friends today: Sav, Drake, and Kevin. And they're all gonna provide some expert insights of what we all looked at last night. So, I'll ask each of you to briefly introduce yourselves and your biases, and then we'll get into the meat of this topic. Kevin, want to start us off?
1: Hi guys, I'm Kevin. I've been on this podcast quite a bit now. I believe this is my sixth episode. I am a accounting graduate from the University of Waterloo. I was a former young liberal for, for the University's Association, but this election I actually voted conservative. So hmm. that's a bit about me.
0: Interesting. And, and, we'll, and I'll bother you from now on if your vote actually did count or did matter. <laughs> All right. But yes. Sav, what about you? Introduce yourself.
2: Hi, I'm Sav. I'm a fourth year political science student at the University of Waterloo specializing in Canadian politics and minoring in gender and social justice. I'm also a volunteer for Anime Paul's uh, campaign in Toronto Centre and I voted Liberal this time around. Controversial.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, having volunteered for Anime Paul, I was a I will get into this later, but she thanked you pretty profusely, or not you personally, but the volunteers. I felt it
2: personally. I did. (laughs) I definitely did.
0: The only reason I really focused on that is because I was so expecting a resignation speech there. But anyways, (laughs) moving on. Drake, introduce yourself. Who are you?
3: Certainly. I'm Drake, and I'm a 23-year-old software developer, a graduate of the University of Waterloo. Uh, I tend to skew left of center. Simon parades me as his uh, former Green Party member friend, uh, and I voted Liberal as well in this election. So if we could
0: blend the spectrums, and myself, of course, I'm Simon. I'm a 24-year-old graduate of the University of Waterloo, and I also have a Master's of International Relations from the Netherlands i love canadian politics however i'm a bit overly invested for somebody who can't vote in this election simply because i don't have my citizenship yet so hopefully i'll have that by the time the next election rolls around and i can make a better difference but you know it's it's been interesting to follow it, it nonetheless so this election was interesting this election night i want to start us off today and then we'll get into more of the meat of the exact results but i just want to ask you guys how you experienced election night what were your impressions what were the highlights the low lights?
1: Um, going to this election, I was not really too excited about it. Uh, i was I was very disappointed by the campaign. I thought the campaign itself was extremely negative, and there was a huge lack of ideas from all the parties, in my opinion for, a huge majority of the campaign however once election night started i started getting a bit excited you know like the 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 good old graphics came back up on the cbc like the the ribbons with like the the vote tallies and the totals came up and early results were quite uh were somewhat unexpected uh, as the night wore on it kind of got more and more into expected territory and so the enthusiasm kind of waned but uh, this election night did remind me of why i enjoy following politics so much.
0: Mm, yeah, you enjoy the hecticness, you know, the the
3: frenzy, you know. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, yes. Drake, did you have any thoughts as well? What did you love about election 2021?
3: Yeah, um, well, we knew going into it that it was going to be a very tight election. And indeed, at the start, when the maritime polls closed, uh, it looked like it was going to be a lot tighter than it ended up being once the rest of the country started reporting its results. In terms of what I enjoyed, I mean, I I thought most of the leaders had very good uh, speeches in the wee hours of the morning. And then, of course, it's just always fun to just kind of watch the results come in and find a few seats to just watch and go like, oh, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? (gasps) And then, you know, eventually you find out or some seats still haven't been called because it's just too tight. So the excitement lives on.
0: Oh, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good point, Drake. I, I know myself personally, having been a lot more invested doing this podcast, I really knew what writings to look out for. And that really added to the viewing experience, just, you know, having an eye on things like that. Sav, being even more invested than myself, arguably volunteering for a campaign, what were your takeaways from election 2021?
2: Yeah, really good question. So I had the privilege of actually hosting the uh, viewing party that the UW Political Science Students Association hosted. We went till about 1.45am. I don't think that's as long as you guys went. But yeah, and it was it was a great experience overall, just watching the votes come in. Obviously, I'm very disappointed. I'm not even disappointed. I'm embarrassed by Animi Paul's performance in Toronto center. It was I I I was baffled by the conservative candidate coming in 3rd and Animi Paul coming in 4th just in front of the PPC. But overall, it was really interesting as Drake was saying that when the Maritime provinces came in that it seemed like the conservatives might have a have have performed better than what they did because all they really achieved is the exact same thing in 2019. But what I was surprised at was that the block actually picked up a, cu- a couple more seats. And so if I had to say maybe if there was a winner today, maybe, in fact, it was the block.
0: Honestly, I was leaning that way too when I was like preparing for this episode because I, I was surprised when I saw they made gains because everybody back in 2019 said they overperformed. But before we get into the minutiae, I want to read out the results that we have right now, and then we can spend another half hour, two hours talking about it. I'm hoping not two hours. That last episode was hell to, re- to edit. But <laughs> regardless, <laughs> Drake is laughing guiltily, if you have heard. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to quickly run through the results, as well as tell you guys how much they gained from 2019, which might be important if you haven't checked this out before. So the Liberals won 32% of the popular vote and have a projected finish of 158 seats, which is a plus one gain of 2019. The Conservatives got 34% of the popular vote, are projected to finish with 119 seats, which is a negative two loss from 2019. The bloc Québécois got 7.8% of the popular vote. They are projected to finish with 34 seats, which is a plus two gain from 2019. The NDP got 17% of the popular votes. They are projected to finish with 25 seats, which is a plus one gain from 2019. The Green Party got 23% of... Oh, 2.3% of votes. Sorry about that.
2: Definitely not <laughs> uh, 22.
0: Okay. Yes, I, I was almost baffled by my notes, but it's my terrible handwriting. Uh, but regardless, they finished with two seats, which is a loss of one from 2019. And the PPC finished with zero seats, uh, which is a zero gain, I guess, and 5% of the popular vote. So, given these results, what really stood out to us?
1: Um, What really stood out to me was... I mean, the lack of movement, to be honest, like usually in elections, you usually see parties gain or lose more than 10 seats. But this election, no party gained more gained or lost significant ground at all, which I believe is very, very rare in Canadian politics. I don't think it's really ever happened before. So for me, that was by far the most noteworthy thing. And that really brings into question why Trudeau even called this election in the first place if public perception hasn't shifted significantly. And uh, in the end, we spent six hundred million dollars on. Coming back to the same place we were before.
0: I guess just to quickly poll all of us, given that we now know the results, would we have called the election if we were the liberals?
2: Absolutely not.
3: No. no. It's made Trudeau's position much harder.
1: Yeah. No, I don't I don't think that I, I would have.
0: Mm. So do you think that
3: the liberals' gain
0: of one seat is something significant? I mean, I think two of us here voted liberal, so you have some explaining to do. <laughs> um...
3: <laughs> to be fair, I voted liberal... In a riding that has gone liberal since 1933. So, I mean, I, I stand behind my vote, but also it didn't make a lick of difference.
2: <laughs> well, mine was a little bit more of a contentious riding, um, And so we actually did have a conservative incumbent who was elected as a liberal in 2015, but crossed the floor. So I voted liberal and the liberal candidate won in my riding by, I think, only a th- There's one more polling station that needs to come in, but right now she has a lead just over a thousand votes. So it's looking pretty likely, but um, I mean, it was, and it's in the 905 region as well. I think that that's a big indicator too, that the conservatives didn't really reach the 905 region as much as they wanted, even though in uh, Kevin's writing, the, the conservative won against the incumbent liberal, which is also in the 905 region.
3: Yes, I think it's definitely interesting that despite the fact that every party is basically coming back to where they were in 2019, plus or minus two seats, there have been some shifts. The Conservatives picked up two seats in the Maritimes, but that was offset by the Liberals really performing strong in Ontario. And I mean, the Liberals are coming back with one, possibly even two seats in Alberta. I mean, those people probably feel as if they're about to become cabinet ministers so that Trudeau can have some... Uh, prairie representation in his cabinet once more. Hmm.
0: See, so, yeah, it's it's been a weird campaign for the Liberals. Then I guess technically they pulled off a victory. In some sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause on that saying whether they won or not because I want to leave that till the end. But I also want to shift a bit to the Conservatives because, in my opinion, losing two seats from when they were polling above the Liberals for a consistent amount of this campaign seems pretty embarrassing. Any reactions to how they performed last night?
1: Well. I, w- I, wouldn't know if, I wouldn't know to say embarrassing because, yes, the Conservatives were leading for, uh, by, by a pretty large amount, I think, during the first and second weeks of the campaign. But before the writs were dropped, the Liberals were the ones in, with the huge lead. And it looked like the Liberals would just saunter their way to the easy majority. So if you maybe kind of ignore the, uh, the huge movement during the campaign, you could argue that the Conservatives uh, had a successful campaign in c- containing the Liberals and keeping them to a minority. Although I don't really think they, they would think like that, but to a neutral observer, that that could be an interpretation of how 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 the results went.
2: I think to kind of piggyback off of Kevin's point, I think that's definitely how Aaron O'Toole was trying to spin it during his uh, speech. But what I found interesting is that, yes, conservatives, again, won the popular vote, which doesn't really mean much in our first-past-the-post system, but... I, I think it's really interesting because you see that Erno Tool really didn't make a difference and potentially lost two more seats than Andrew Scheer did and didn't gain any ground. But the tone is so different from the from their final speeches. So it's clear that Aaron Tool wants to hold on to his position as leader and give it another go. But we'll see where that goes.
3: For sure. I'm... Went back and I watched part of Andrew Shearer's speech on election night 2019, just because I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't misremembering it. And he did come off a lot more combative, digging his heels in. I'm gonna like, you can't get rid of me. I'm going to stick it out. Aaron O'Toole seems to be projecting at least a little bit more confidence that he thinks the party will keep him on for another election. And I mean, personally, I think that would be the best for the party. I know Kevin has his uh, views on whether the party is going to slingshot to the right after this.
1: Well, I, I agree with Drake, actually. I hope that Aaron O'Toole stays on. I think in, in the long-term future of the Conservative Party, it's best that he stays on. I think it's very obvious that the Conservative Party needs to appeal to, well, I guess more people in the center because the only way the Conservatives can win, judging from this election, is uh, by picking up more seats around the GTA suburbs. That's, the, that's pretty much the only way they can really make up the gap of... Uh, of the uh 50 or so seats they need to mm-hmm. to get a majority because they've kind of tapped out their support elsewhere. They're not going to win well they might win like a couple more seats in the prairies, but that's not really going to be a huge gain. And in Quebec, Quebec doesn't really seem like a very fertile ground for for the conservatives. So it's mainly the GTA and also the Maritimes, I believe, where the conservatives are going to have to really look for more seats. And in the, the conservatives in those areas are more of the red Tory lean than the more populist lean of the prairies. And it's going to be very hard for the conservative party to balance those two bases. And it's going to be very interesting to see how they do that.
3: For sure. They needed to crack the nine Oh five in this election. And I mean, they made, you could say they made two gains with your, uh, the riding of Thornhill and King Vaughan riding, And you know, those, they flipped those two to the conservatives, but not near enough to make a difference. Uh, I don't remember the exact figures, but it's something like the popular vote in Ontario was about five points for the Liberals to the Conservatives, and yet the Liberals won more than double the seats of the Conservatives in Ontario. So, if you want to form government, you got to get those juicy GTA seats, and Aaron O'Toole couldn't crack in.
0: Yeah, which is, I guess, surprising too, given how much of all focused on his platform being much more, I guess, centrist-leaning than with Seed and so many other Conservative platforms. So. It'll be interesting to see where this party goes from here. I also want to touch a bit on the Bloc Quebecois and then maybe the Greens later. But the Bloc Quebecois, you mentioned earlier, Sav, that you were surprised at how they performed. I share your surprise. Do you want to dig into that a little more?
2: Yeah, um, I don't know the specific writings, but I know there was a couple of shifts in, I believe it was liberal strongholds in Quebec that went to the Bloc, which ended up with Yves-Francois Blanchet gaining two more seats than he did last time. And I think that this is really interesting because do we pinpoint to the debate in the English debate where the moderator posed the question about discriminatory laws in a way that favored Blanchet and made him really heighten these so-called ideological differences between Quebec and the rest of Canada. By the way, I'm not a Quebecer, so I also definitely acknowledge that I have a bit of a gap in my knowledge as it pertains to Quebec, but um, is it that, or are we actually seeing the shift that that Quebecers are are really fundamentally since the the resurgence of the Bloc in twenty nineteen Are they really really of this ideology? And it's going to be very interesting to see where this will this will lead in the future. But Blanchet did a great job, apparently.
3: Yeah. 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 Um, it, it, it is worth noting um, that so they've elected 32 block. There's two ridings yet to be called that the block are leading in. One, they lead the conservatives by 33 votes, and in another, they lead the liberals by 147 votes. And those are still too close to call. Not all the votes have been counted. So they may actually finish this election at 32 seats and not have gained any. But I think we can say fairly conclusively that that English debate question really did light a fire under the block and remind Quebecers and really unite Quebecers behind the block as this party that above all stands for Quebec and what Quebec wants. Because beforehand, uh, Blanchet had been looking for a wedge between him and the other parties to really show that no other party can be trusted to stand up for the Quebec values. And it really, to me, that moderator handed Blanchet, that wedge issue on a silver platter, 10 days left in the election.
1: It is it, the, the block played a very interesting role in this election. I actually think the block may have played the most interesting role in this election because I feel like the block was the reason why Justin Trudeau's liberals actually didn't get a majority. Justin Trudeau's liberals finished what, like 12 or 13 seats short of a majority? And at the beginning of the campaign, it looked like it looked like uh, Blanchet's uh, Bloc Québécois were not going to do as well in Quebec as they would as they did last election, with the difference mostly benefiting the Liberals. And so, if the Liberals could have managed to pick up another ten or so seats in Quebec, they probably would have won a majority. So, in a way, I agree with uh, Sav and Drake here. I, I think that it was the English debate. I think it was that. It was the the rather poorly worded question, in my opinion, from the from the English moderator Shachi Curl, that really had uh, all the all the wagons of Quebec circle around the Bloc Québécois because they because they felt felt like their their culture was being attacked, and that kind of denied the Liberals a majority. Yeah, they played a pretty interesting role, and I do think that in the future I think the the, the campaigns really need to need to focus on how to how to assuage uh, Quebec voters.
0: Yeah, like I... we've always noted, the Quebec vote determines how these elections go. The major upsets we've seen within Canadian electoral history, especially within the last decade or two, have all been Quebec related, basically. Especially like, look at the orange wave of Jack Layton. That was basically on the strength of his performance in Quebec. So it'll be interesting how this turns out because I remember in 2019, during my classes on Canadian politics and everything, all the professors were saying, the Bloc Recois overperformed in 2019. They are not going to finish with 32 seats again. And lo and behold, they finished with 34. So,
3: Well, mm-hmm. they have 32. They don't have 34 yet. I'm going to keep bringing that up. But by the time this is
0: posted, Drake, I will make sure it is 34. I will personally <laughs> You're commit electoral gonna
3: fraud. You're going to roll up with <laughs> one last ballot box and be like, go,
2: wait, wait, wait. I've had some more ballots. Ontario
3: votes have come. <laughs>
2: Just a quick quick note before we go off of the block. I, what I find really interesting is that I thought during the French debate that Trudeau defended the Liberals quite well as it pertains to to being a Quebecer and to really giving it to Blanchet. But the actions of what happened in the English debate have really apparently set the tone for, for uh, what happened in this past election. Just a just a point that I, I thought I'd point out there. For sure. Yes, it's mean,
3: a really good point. In the aftermath, um, in the post-media scrum, Bonchlet was like, you know, and none of the other leaders even said anything about how, you know, just racist that question was and anti-Quebec that question was. And then sheepishly, I would say, O'Toole and Trudeau released statements like the next two days being like, yes, that question was unfair. Probably because they realized.
2: So did so did the NDP too. Oh, they too. Did. It was, okay. Yeah, Yeah. which Jagmeet Singh kowtowing to Quebec voters, I will never understand.
1: (laughs) Well, he maybe wants to replicate the orange wave again, although I don't see that happening, unfortunately. I mean, on the
0: topic of the NDP performance, midway through last night, well, at at around 2 a.m., I randomly in our call said, the NDP really lost this, didn't they? They really underperformed, in my opinion, because as we're looking at this, Right now, they've only gained one seat from 24 seats, which everybody in 2019 said was a massive underperformance. So what do we think of the results here? Do we think that the the NDP could have done better? Are they disappointed by this result, despite grabbing 70% of the popular vote?
2: They definitely did disappoint. Um, I think one of the biggest issues that the NDP has, and what we just alluded to there, is that they don't have enough regional focus to to be a mainstay in the party itself. I believe if they focused on a province like BC in particular and really built a base that, that they could grow and just constantly rely on, it would make all the difference in the world. And then they could go after getting some of those um, seats at Jack Layton's orange wave picked up in Ontario and Quebec. But again, I don't know. I don't know. We all just said too, right. That as long as Jagmeet Singh's leader, we I don't want to speak for everybody, but I don't think that he will pick up seats in Quebec. So, what happens from here with the Quebec or with the Quebec with the the NDP? I think Jugmeet stays on as leader, but I don't know. I don't know what their role is in in this government, other than being the ones that will will actually make the Liberals pass more progressive uh, legislation.
0: Yeah, because it's important to note too for anybody listening in, the third place party is not the NDP in Parliament. It's the Bloc Becois by uh, quite a margin now. So, yeah, popular vote-wise, the NDP for sure are, but actual seat-wise, they're not.
1: I predicted at the at the very start yes, of the
0: yes, yes.
1: that the NDP would actually do worse than they did last election. I was wrong, but not by much. The NDP barely did any better. I don't, I don't think you could say a net gain of one seat is that significant of an improvement, and did they did they did they gain or lose in the popular vote. I think they kind of stayed around the same, right? Or
2: The NDP had 17.7% of the popular vote.
3: Yeah, And, and in 15.9% last last time.
1: Okay, so they so they okay. did make a, a small gain in the popular vote, but you can't but every I think I hey, like hey, everyone Kevin, was... that's a
3: green party level of gain there. <laughs> yeah, they literally okay, gained there. one 2021 year election Green Party's worth of support over last uh, time we, we
1: could we could ban- we could banter the green
3: party on the no. own time oh, we will do that but, minute. i mean <laughs> we, we noticed or at least it was reported and just listening to jagmeet speak in the weekend leading into the campaign there seemed to be a shift in his rhetoric more towards the idea that the ndp was going to go back to their role as what they like to call themselves as like the conscience of the house of commons we're, we're not in power but you know, we're going to push the other parties to do better, to be better and pass progressive policies. And it was a very subtle shift and he wasn't conceding there, but it did seem to be a slight acknowledgement that the polls were not reflecting the growth they were hoping to see.
1: I think, I think part of it may be that strategic voting did come into play in the end. I feel like this is always like the perennial thorn in the side of the NDP. Like, uh, during the campaign, the NDP actually like goes up a bit in the polls and everyone gets excited. But then comes election time. And the only poll that matters, uh, the NDP kind of underperforms. And that's because people, especially left of center voters in a close election, such as this one, get cold feet at at the ballot box. And they decide, to, they decide to throw their lot in with the Liberals because the Liberals could actually potentially win and to keep the Conservatives out. And I believe this is what happened at this election. This election was very close. And I think that a lot of NDP supporters, they, they didn't want the Conservatives to win more than they wanted to vote for the NDP. And I, I know this because in 2015, I was considering voting for the NDP, but and I got cold feet and I voted for the liberals at the last moment, too. So I, I kind of have a firsthand experience of this. I think another problem with the NDP, in addition to Sav's amazing, great point about not having really having a base in any of the provinces, I feel like their voter base in general is not as reliable as other parties. They're, they're mostly focused on younger voters. That, that was their campaign. They Jagmeet Singh is very big on TikTok. He had, a, he had a Twitch stream a couple of days back. He's, he was definitely trying to win that young vote. And that's great and all, but in an in ele- in in election, the young vote is the vote that has by far the most turnout issues out of all the demographics. We see this in the US with Bernie Sanders. In, in the 2020 Democratic primary, Bernie Sanders relied on the young vote and the young vote kind of let him down. And we'll see this with the, the NDP. In my opinion, in order to become... A truly national party that can actually have the potential to win an election. The NDP needs to grow beyond a young base. And in order to do that, they need to kind of change their image a bit.
0: But on the other hand, young voters do grow old. That's how humans work.
3: Yeah, but when they grow old, they they vote conservative. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Well, let's move on to some other change. And I want to do the PPC first and then do the green one. Leave leave the one we're going to, I guess have some fun opinions the about the last. The least
2: popular vote.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll do by vote count. We're, yeah, you are yes. going by
3: vote count, aren't you?
0: Yeah. But anyways, PPC, what do we think? Because I know, Kevin, you've been pretty wrong about your bold prediction to win more than one seat. So yeah, thank God for if that. anything else, you're not.
2: <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, the PPC kind of suffered like a, a bit of a mini NDP syndrome, as I like to call it. I think I think <laughs> wow. a lot of people, <laughs> they, they underperformed in the polls as well. And I think it, that might be because uh, some PPC voters, they hate Trudeau and they wanted to get him out more than they wanted to vote PPC, which uh, I guess shows them, shows us everyone that PPC voters actually do have some rational thought in their heads.
3: No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm, I, joking I'm afraid I'm going to have to push back on the fact that they underperformed the polls, though. They, they got 5.1% of the popular vote. That's square right where they were being put in terms of the projections. Depends which projection. Well, if you're, you're looking, looking at, at individual polls, yeah, if you look at the bands yeah. of support that the aggregates were giving, it was like 4 yes. to 8%, five fits in that band quite comfortably.
2: I would, uh, kind of going off of Drake's point there, I actually think that the PPC did exactly what they wanted to do. And I think it was evident in the fact that Bernier knew that he wasn't even going to win his seat. He was in Saskatoon for his his speech party, uh, or speech party, his speech after the election with his party. And I think it's what we're seeing is really evident is that Bernier is trying to grow the party. He's trying to have support, particularly out West and, and building. From there, which is interesting, because I don't know why he didn't decide to run out there if that was his whole plan. But I do think it was telling that he was there for the election results. And I do think that it is quite alarming to me, but surprising of how well they actually did do. And if this is a trend that's going to continue, you know, I think that Bernier is also benefiting off of a lot of anti-vax, anti-mask. Anti-COVID kind of rhetoric right now, and we'll see if that kind of holds over the next few years. But if it does, the PPC could be one of those one of those interesting swing type of parties in in Canadian politics for at least a little bit of time. Yeah. The
3: the question is is can they maintain their momentum once COVID is done and over, and you no longer have vaccines and public health restrictions as part of everyday life? Um, and I think. You know, Aaron O'Toole is hoping and praying that they can't because there are seats that we can conclusively say, I would say, would have been won by a conservative had the People's Party not been there. Obviously, we can't just say, oh, well, all the People's Party voters would have voted conservative. There's a uh, quite significant amount of PPC voters who were first-time voters and came out. But there are a couple ridings Uh, particularly one that a Liberal picked up in Alberta where the Liberal beat the Conservative by a threshold of 400 votes and the PPC candidate took several thousand. And so that's kind of a case where I'm sure the Conservatives are looking at that riding and being like, we feel quite concretely that the PPC spoiled that for us.
0: Bernie is having his late revenge.
3: Yeah, he (laughs)
1: is. I think the the biggest uh, election takeaway for the PPC is that They're kind of legitimized as a political, a serious political party in Canada. Your
0: prediction comes true.
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Your prediction did come true. We all remember in 2019, the the People's Party was seen as kind of a joke. They only won like, what, like 1% of the vote? And I mean, in my opinion, as soon as you win more than like 5% of the vote, you're Mm -hmm. definitely considered a party, a serious political party. In in the Canadian political landscape. And that brings with it a lot of advantages such as, you know, more media attention and also and a debate presence. I believe that with the new debate rules, I think the PPC will qualify for next the debates to the next election, which
0: it depends on what the, they it depends on what they set the rules at, because these rules were kind of arbitrarily determined.
3: That is try a nonpartisan true, body but, though.
0: Yes, but it was still they said four point one percent being the cut off out of just looking at polls
1: well, I mean they 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 got five percent this time
0: so. yes I, I think they're if they are excluded again next year, it would be very it, it I would think be it'll great, happen
1: it would be a very bad look on yes. on Canadian democracy in, in my opinion, I think they should be at the debates. I honestly think they should have been at the debates this time, although to be fair, they didn't really qualify for the for the criteria that everyone no. set out, so I can't really complain too much about that, but it's very very interesting to see where they'll go. I think their their relevance in the future might depend more on the conservatives. If the conservatives take a more turn back into a more populist route, then maybe they'll struggle a bit to find their own niche. But if the conservatives stick with O'Toole and, and stick towards the center, they might find more success with disaffected far right conservative voters, in my opinion.
0: Well, I guess turning now to the worst performing major political party, Degrees. I know, um, considering Drake is a former Green Party member, a paying one, might I former add. Former paying one, Sav- let's be clear. <laughs> and, uh, and Sav herself volunteered for enemy Paul's campaign. I'm expecting to be there some, nice, uh, some nice flaming opinions here.
3: You know, I'll kick it off with a question. I, I said it last night because I was sitting in a, in a call with, with Simon and Kevin, but it was late, so maybe they don't remember. Um, the Greens, as it stands right now, have 373,000 votes. And would anybody on this call like to guess how many elections you have to go back for them to have performed worse than they performed in this election?
2: 30 years.
3: Well, they haven't been around quite that long. It's uh, it's the 2000. 2000- oh, I, sh- I should have waited. But it's it's the ah. 2000 election when they took 100,000 votes. And every election after that, they've had at least half a million. Um, of course. And, the, and then, of course, they peaked in 2019. So this election is just an absolute collapse of the green vote
1: Three hundred and seventy-three thousand. that's it that's what you wow that's that's an that's a bigger collapse than i thought in 2019 they won 1.1 million votes so they've they've lost like almost like around two-thirds of their
0: votes (laughs) really and i think the only reason they gained or even got two seats is because of the liberal collapse in kitchener center
3: i Yes. I was just going to talk yes. about that. We had talked earlier about external forces influencing a particular seat. Uh, it was actually Ashley Burke of the CBC who broke the story about Raj Saini's uh, sexual misconduct allegations that eventually caused him to withdraw from the race around Labor Day. And that really created an opening. Um, you know, Mike Morris, who I've met, and full disclosure, when I was a Green Party member, I did vote in his nomination run, uh, competition to be the candidate in 2019. He took them to second place from 6 to 26% of the vote in 2019. But had Raj Saini still been in the race, I don't think we'd be looking at it. The Greens would have been cut back down to Elizabeth May. Paul Manley lost his seat. It, his seat hasn't been called because it's so close between the NDP and the Conservative. But he's several thousand votes behind. He's not going to come up from behind and take that seat. So again, an external force saved the Greens from only going down to two seats instead of one.
0: Sav, I know you campaigned for one of these seats that was uh, not successful.
2: (laughs) How how do you feel about
0: your Uh, last few months of time?
2: Good question. Um, Just to kind of agree with what Drake was saying there, I think that, you know, it's unfortunate to see what has happened. I'm so glad that Mike Morse got a seat. I do think that the argument, though, that people have that it's like, oh, it's more the candidate more than the party itself. I think it is a mixture of both. But I think for... For all Green Party members, you really bank on the candidate. We really banked on Elizabeth May, and that's how she eventually got into power. It was not an easy road for Elizabeth May to get into power. Um, And you bank on Mike Morris, and he's a guy in the community who's worked for years getting to where he was. So, yes, it is the, uh, the candidate. I do think the party also plays into it, but there's just a lot of hard work that has been done by these two respective now members of parliament that I don't want to take away from. But I do agree that the Liberals had had the Liberals been in the election, it would have been not a great day for Mike Morris. In terms of Anime Paul's campaign, which I find very interesting. So currently, I think there are a couple more polls left in Toronto Centre, but they've already called it for Marcy Ian. Was a ridiculous lead on the NDP, who came in second. Annamie Paul came in fourth in her riding mm. with thirty six hundred votes, approximately nine percent. Nine percent. Wow. She in in twenty nineteen had thirty eight hundred votes when she was a nobody running in that riding when Bill Morneau uh, was still still around. It is disturbing to see how she went from thirty eight hundred votes to eighty two hundred votes, with a difference in a by election, mind you, so lower voter turnout, to back down to thirty six hundred four now votes. It's as the leader of the Green Party, who and had if that's media not,
0: exposure mm-hmm. every day, basically every day.
2: She did. She did press conferences every day. She was constantly on CTV News. Anybody that was willing to interview her, she went and she did. And she worked hard. There's no doubt about it. But it, I think this is indicative of the end of the Anime Paul reign. And I know Drake mentioned, too, in the podcast, and I've heard, too, that it's, I think it's usually six months after the election, there's a leadership review. I imagine that Annamie Paul will resign before then, but we never know what could happen. But overall, very disappointing for the Greens in Toronto Centre sorry I'm not i was
1: stunned honestly i was stunned that annie and paul did not resign on election night i yeah. feel like a result like that for the leader of a federal party who i mean prospectively would want to get into government in some capacity that's like unacceptable like i, I don't understand how she could she could finish fourth in a riding where again as simon said she had constant media exposed she and also she pretty much spent most of her time in that rightful days she, if yeah, tw- yeah, most of the campaign. She she didn't really contribute to a lot of other green candidates' campaigns. Did she even campaign in Kitchener she Center? Did. Which, she did.
3: Uh, she went to Kitchener Center the did? same day okay. Jagmeet Singh was there.
1: Oh, really? Well, there's that. There's that. But she it, it didn't seem like she helped out in a lot of other green party ridings. She de- definitely did not really campaign nationally which which elizabeth may did
2: she in all fairness she spent like a day in bc and she spent like a day in pei wow
0: a
1: day in
3: bc yep.
2: and a day in kitchener yep. center
3: you gotta you gotta realize that those carbon outputs of flights that's well, that's the thing though uh, oh, not, yeah. she wasn't flying well i mean i think she flew to bc but historically the greens have used via to get around that's elizabeth may would like tour the countries. <laughs> They actually got in in trouble because they were holding campaign events at via rail stations and they didn't get permission. (laughs) It'd be like, Elizabeth May is getting off the train.
1: Honestly, the Greens, I I do think need a new leader, but it'll be very interesting to see how that new leader would take the Greens. Because if I'm correct, that uh, Annamie Paul was pretty much a compromise candidate, right? She was the more moderate candidate compared to... um, Dimitri Lascaris was like the, the the kind of like an eco-socialist faction in the Green Party. And it'd be interesting if the Green Party goes into a more left-wing route now or stays towards the center. I personally feel like they, they would have greater electoral success sticking towards the center. But then again, I say that about every party. So, so it'd be interesting to hear uh, an actual insider's thoughts, Sav. Yeah,
2: that's a, it's interesting because... I don't know. I look at the states a lot and I'm a big, big fan of AOC. Um and I love progressive politics. So a part of me is like, Anime Paul really wasn't that. So if you do switch it up, you might as well kind of go and see what happens. But what I would say is that after this whole debacle of the Green Party and the infighting and the alleged racism and anti-Semitism that exists in the party. What progressive candidate would want to run for a party like that? Is there trust in the party with party members, let alone the public? So I I don't know I don't know what direction that they go in.
3: I think part of what really hindered the Greens and they're they're going to have to rebuild from, is that they took a massive hit to their credibility going into this election with the internal strife. Uh, and then you have Enemy Paul during the election, where she admits that She's not going to visit every riding, even if it's competitive, because she's concerned that she may not be wanted or she could hurt the local candidate's chance. She also talked about how she thought of quitting and the fact that they were in an election and she thought, you know, it would be wrong of me to leave the party leaderless during a campaign. That's not exactly inspiring if the leader's like, I'm really here because of this election and I've already been thinking about quitting and I'm still on the fence. And then... You know, the Greens were the last one to release their platform. They released a partial costing of their platform the day before the election on Sunday. And for the first time in, I think, four elections, they did not have a candidate in every riding. They only ran 255 candidates. Uh, And that's something Elizabeth May actually spoke about and said she was quite disappointed and wanted an investigation as to what happened there. Cause there were some candidates who wanted to run for the greens, but they were not like paperwork wasn't done. Something happened and they were not given the green light to run as a green. They, they weren't given the green light. Pardon my pun. Um, so <laughs> I, <noticed. laughs> I didn't until I did. So the greens, whoever comes in after enemy Paul, cause I do think not winning her seat and losing that badly. The greens are a forgiving party, but that, that performance in Toronto center is too poor to give enemy Paul another chance at another election, given all the other drama going on. So it's really time for the Greens to sit down, do some soul searching and figure out how they're going to rebuild their credibility and reemerge as a competitive national party in the regions where they are competitive. I think that's a good way to leave it on.
0: But talking about soul searching, I think us as the Canadian populace should do some soul searching as well, because we have the early turnout numbers in front of us. And apparently, this election had a turnout of 58.9%, which is horrifically low for any modern democracy. To give you some context, in 2019, turnout was 67%, almost 10 points higher. In 2015, it was 68%. And in 2011, it was 61%. So I wanted—I don't want to spend too, much, too long talking about these turnout numbers, but
3: what are you guys' thoughts on this? I mean, it's an election that nobody wanted in the middle of the fourth wave. Uh, you know, the election call happened and we were talking about how we might be entering a fourth wave and we're definitely in it. And so it does not surprise me, given all of that, that people stayed home.
1: I do think that the, the turnout, I don't know, I feel like I feel like usually in low turnout uh, elections, the right of center party usually benefits, although maybe maybe in Canada. That Historically, you're
3: enough, correct in sir. Canada as well, sir. <laughs>
1: all right then. Um, I think the low turnout is more indicative of the fact that this campaign was just so negative and it wasn't really based on any sort of issues. The leaders were just seem more content to make personal attacks to each other rather than offer any sort of inspiring po- policy. And that just reflects in the turnout numbers. And that in addition to all the uh, the sort of issues with the polling places, uh, some some places I've, I've heard took hours to vote. Even for me, I, I took 40 minutes to vote and I made, made sure to show up in early in the morning. And I live in a riding where usually it takes for me like maybe like 10 minutes to vote. I've never really had to wait in a line before. So definitely, I I think the Elections Canada played a role in that. COVID played a role in that since people are probably more hesitant to vote during the fourth wave. But I do think by far the biggest culprit is the fact that the campaign itself and the parties themselves were so uninspiring to vote for. So people just wanted to sit out.
0: Any quick thoughts as well, Seb?
2: Uh, No, I agree with what Kevin was saying, and especially about the accessibility on the part of Elections Canada. Um, We saw that uh, campuses were prohibited from hosting what they would usually do as special ballot polling stations. uh, You could vote on campus if you lived on residence. That was my understanding, but only for the region in which your university is situated in or your residence is situated in. I think what was also pretty interesting too is that we did see an influx. We saw 900, I think approximately 900,000 mail-in ballots, and that I think advanced polling was up by 18%, I believe. So very interesting to see that even though advanced polling was up, Because of the decrease, the massive decreases we saw for polling stations on election day, uh, we still see these major lineups that did happen and that could have potentially uh, deterred voters.
0: Yeah. Switching gears now. I know we've been talking for a little while and we're getting tired. I have a quick uh trivia like segment for you guys. So Ooh. I don't know if you guys saw the story, I'm hoping not because it's pretty obscure. But do you guys remember in elementary middle high school how they would have these mock elections where you got to also kind of submit your vote and then it tell you who the schools want. Student won?
3: votes. Yes. Okay. Yep.
0: Apparently there are national numbers for this. I've seen I the numbers, so I'm
3: sorry. I I, I okay. spell your final yeah, yeah. st- sit quiet.
0: Okay, but I want you guys to guess the final numbers for each of the parties. Sam and Kevin, I guess, now that Drake has been too informed and written himself out. Point of, the of,
2: point of clarification. So, <laughs> sure. it, the, did the students vote, like these are like underage students, right? Yeah. Did the students vote for who they wanted to win or who they thought was going to win? Who they wanted to
3: win. It's like, and then those yeah. votes would okay. have been pooled as a riding, and it's like here's who the students elected in that riding.
2: So okay. Simon will have seat do, so counts. Do we- so you want to see like specific seat. I, I just want
0: for each party. How, what percentage would you guess they would have won by? Oh.
1: Well, they're kids, right? Kids are usually more left wing. I would say the NDP and the liberals are probably in a dead heat at the very top with with like what? Like mm. 35, 40, 40% of the vote each. That's my that's my hazardous guess. And the conservatives, you know, they're probably the, the party of like the more edgy uh, teenage gamers. Maybe <laughs> I'll give them 10% of the vote and then the remainder will split the re- the remaining 10%. What
0: about the green party?
1: Uh, probably like 4 or 5%, so I guess they overperformed among the youth compared to their
0: actual results. <laughs> Sad, what about you?
2: Um, I will tell I you know
0: Kevin if... was a bit off the mark. Really?
1: Wow.
2: I was going to be controversial anyways and kind of I agree with Kevin that I think it was the I don't I'm not going to give percentages because I don't do math like that. Um <laughs> but um, I will say, I think that the NDP probably would have ranked number one. I think the conservatives might've ranked a number two, maybe the liberals ranked number three and then the PPC, because why not? Um, and then I think that it was only a handful of people who had been like, yeah, I like the green party because we're all like, my dad likes the green party and like, my family is very green. Do you know what I mean? so, hmm. um, that's how I would kind of rank them. Okay.
0: <laughs> Drake, you're laughing because I think you've seen numbers. So
3: I have. <laughs> you're not I'll, wrong. I, for I the will Greens. preface.
0: I will preface by saying <laughs> that the PPC wasn't in the numbers I got, so I'm. I'm suspecting maybe they performed very low, or they just weren't given us an option, which seems not democratic. But regardless, the leading party was the NDP with 27% of the vote. What? Yeah. Okay. The second place was the Conservative Party with 25% of the vote. Wow. That doesn't
2: surprise me. Third
0: place, the Liberals with 24%. And then uh, the Green Party had 10%. And the Bloc Becquois had 2%. So I love those people. Um, And then I think the rest was probably undecided or something. Those are numbers I saw, Drake. Um, What what were your your reactions when you
3: saw those? I didn't see it in terms of, of percentage vote breakdown I saw it in terms of seats and what I saw Mm -hmm. was like liberals formed a minority again probably because their student vote is probably just as efficient as their regular vote it was like (laughs) liberals 100 something NDP just shy of 100 conservatives I think were 70 or 80 greens had won three seats according to the student vote and I don't remember where the block finished so that that's where I was. You threw you threw me off with vote percentages because I didn't see that. That's that's One, just that I saw. So maybe I'm wrong.
1: 25% for the conservatives. Wow. Maybe maybe young people aren't as left wing as I thought.
2: I think the what my thinking might be around the conservative vote. I think when households, particularly conservative households, vote conservative, it's well known that they vote conservative. And so I think those sentiments are sort of echoed through their children when they're in high school and and middle school. And then whether or not that actually translates into actual votes going forward is interesting to see, but I think that that's kind of my thinking behind why the Conservatives ranked high.
0: Well, I want to wrap this up. So I'm going to give you each one minute to answer this. Who won? Who lost? You decide. Yes.
1: (laughs) All right, starting now i personally think that the ndp and the Bloc at both won. the ndp didn't win from their performance obviously but i believe that this balance of power actually actually favors the ndp uh the liberals can't use the threat of another election to get the to bully the ndp into doing what they want because the ndp have already seen the results of an election and now the ndp i believe has more leverage because of that over the liberals to pass more of the progressive agenda and obviously, the Bloc, as well, short up their support in Quebec. So, electorally speaking, they're the biggest
0: winner. Mm. And losers, Kevin.
1: Losers, I would probably say the Liberals, because they kind of ended up back where they started, and their reputation kind of got tarnished, in my opinion, from this election.
0: Okay, interesting you called the winner to loser, but I, I, yeah. I expect that to be a sentiment further around this table. Sav, what about you?
2: Very controversial. I will not do that. I actually think that the winners of uh, this election were the Liberals by the sheer fact that they did win. Um, And not only that, that they held their own in Ontario, which I found to be quite impressive. We'll see what happens with Atlantic Canada in the next election. And we'll see how Trudeau will answer the question of why did this election ever occur in the next election. But you have to give credit where credit is due in that respect. And then the bloc maintaining their ground and maintaining that they are still a very serious part of Canadian politics and should not should not go un- underestimated, that's for sure. In terms of the losers, I think you have to say the conservatives, because we saw in the polling prior to this election that we thought there was a serious potential for conservative government to f- form government and in a minority nonetheless but still to form government and they didn't they were quite stagnant or air no tools performance was quite stagnant to in comparison to andrew Shear, and they didn't make the moves that they necessarily wanted to so we'll see what happens to them and then i obviously have to say the greens are in the middle they won but they lost <laughs>
0: They won by staying a party, I guess.
2: (laughs) They won (laughs) by the sheer fact, the sheer ability that they won two seats is remarkable. And I don't think that that should go unnoticed, but they definitely lost with with the popular vote and their leader, of course.
3: Hmm. Okay, Drake, what about you? Winners and losers. I liked when Lisa Wright said on CBC last night that this was the $600 million cabinet shuffle. I think at the end of the day, you know, the bloc is, is clearly in a strong position and they've reasserted themselves. That everyone else is pretty much the same same position. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. Right. And Trudeau is going to have issues. He can't threaten an election straight away. Uh, he has to justify this election. But his problems are now very different problems than Aaron O'Toole and Annamie Paul have, and possibly Jugmeet Singh, although I don't think so, they now have to deal with leadership challenges and, and and questions about their future at the helm of their respective parties. I don't think Justin Trudeau is going to face that. He just now has to deal with how does he get on with, with governing. Uh, in terms of losers, it's the Green Party. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Morris's win softens that blow, but you have to remember the circumstances and that, you know, in some ways... You recognize that if Raj Saini hadn't dropped out of the race, I don't think, you know, it would have just been a complete knockout of the Greens, save Elizabeth May as the lone MP once again. And so I think they are, are the clear loser of this election, if there was one. I think
0: in some senses we're all the loser of this election, because we're still going to debate about electoral reform for the next 20 days, at least, which I hate that debate. But yep. regardless... Yep. I wanted to do a segment on electoral reform and we're running out of time. So now I'm almost going to be tempted to do an episode on it. So rip me when I do that, but I'm I think sure that,
1: I... I think that issue deserves an episode. <sighs> hmm. And
0: I, I know Drake really wants to be on it. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll probably do one in the near future, but I'll, it'll be, I'll drag myself into it, but yes. <laughs> Anyways, that almost wraps it up. I have a personal question prepared too. And I'm going to ask you guys, what's your favorite memory of election 2021?
1: Seeing that CBC report, all those CBC reporters at all the uh, party uh, parties and gatherings and having the CBC reporter at the PPC party being the only one that wore masks mask. Yeah. And socially <laughs> distanced. That was hilarious.
2: <laughs> um I'm going to say two, make them really quick. Uh, My first one was during the campaign trail where uh, I believe that um, Jugmeet Singh was out west and he had two indigenous chiefs with him um, and they endorsed the liberal candidate in that riding right in front of Jugmeet Singh. That was a, that was pretty memorable. But I think the second is actually seeing Mike Morris win in uh, Kitchener Center was, was probably like a very, very it was a very good moment to a, what was a uh, disappointing result for the Green Party.
0: Mm. Drake, I see you're crossing your favorite moment off your list. So
3: So
2: <laughs> sorry
3: I, I literally wrote down as I was thinking of them, I was going to give quite literally the exact same two as Sav. So you've you've stolen my thunder. I will then come up with a third one and say my third favorite moment would have been Anime Paul in the English debate, inviting the block leader to educate himself on systemic mm. racism uh, and then well, just then. not allowing him to speak and being like, I'm sorry, sir, this is my time. And it's not an insult. I just, it was really well done. And yeah. Mm. So add that as my third behind the two things Sav said,
0: <laughs> the moment I'm going to quote the most is, is enemy Paul telling her voters to just Google her platform. I going to quote so much, but I also really, I guess it's more personal, I guess, but, uh, I remember we were watching the French language debate and I commented halfway through, I was watching with Drake and Youssef. and I commented halfway through, it'd be so much better if Anime Paul had released her platform before the debate. And Drake was like, oh, she released it two and a half days ago. And I am sitting here like, wait, I am doing this podcast. I'm keeping pretty on track of news and platforms. How have I not heard about this? Oh, I have this Green Party friend who's keeping me in contact with everything. She's in the campaign. She must've told me about this. And so I messaged Sav immediately and I'm like, Sav, did the Green Party release their platform? And Sav messages me, no, they didn't, of course. And she had to Google it, and apparently they did. So <laughs> that was my favorite <laughs> moment.
2: I didn't even know. Like, there was no announcement made that the platform had been released. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I'll add one more thing. I think personally, what was a disappointing moment was that Jenica Atwin is potentially winning her seat. Uh, I think Freckham she will, right?
3: She split that. Yeah. she's up by 500 remember... votes against the conservative. Yeah, and there's
1: so many mail-in ballots still to be counted. They probably favored her even more. So
0: hmm. I, I remember we were. I remember, they almost called it last night really early, and we were talking about that. But hmm. yeah.
1: and and
3: Anyways. one more favorite moment, Simon. It's been spending all this time Uh-oh. with you and our remarkable guests i say our it's really your guests but i guess i'm taking ownership here simon so thank you for your hard yeah, work we're, we're all friends I don't definitely think, simon
0: i don't think thank anybody, you for doing this beyond knowing me i don't think any of you had met before this podcast so i'm honored oh. to bring people together yeah so yeah but uh, and i also really want to thank the people listening to this podcast because they're what gives me the motivation to keep going forward all of you spent hours spent some time listening even if it's only for a few minutes i really appreciate it it's you know it it really we were in the viewing party the other day and one of the the people there recognized us and like oh the podcast people are something and it was a great feeling i know kevin can attest to that as well
1: definitely definitely
0: yeah I'm, I'm glad we're at least sharing perspectives and if you've learned something let me know and if you want to be on an episode let me know as well um so i guess that kind of wraps it up our next episode, I think Drake is going to make me do one on electoral reform. <laughs> so maybe that'll come out, let's say in a week or so, if I can drag my feet long enough on that. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see my upload schedule still. I, I might take a bit slower considering, you know, I need to sleep. <laughs> uh, not that I've been too invested, but yeah, no, it has been a great experience. And we'll, we'll do a few more episodes and then I'll maybe plan out what the futures podcast will look like. But yeah, thank you guys for coming on today. I'm, I'm hoping you enjoyed the free person format, too.
2: It was good. It was good. Yeah. Thank you very much again. Sorry, I just want to say thank you very much.
0: No worries. And yeah, I guess we'll catch you next time. Please like, subscribe, and all that stuff. So yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Sorry, a car passed. I need to close my window real quick. Sorry. I was wondering what this finger meant. But I was like, it's one second the car is passing. It's just oh. language. I'll, I'll I'll ask you in a second, Sab. Sorry.
3: How <laughs> I mean how unprofessional leaving his window open. Like <laughs> this Pat. is gonna be a big Jeez. edit out.
2: Every time you see <laughs> Simon, now you guys have to do this. <laughs> <laughs>